Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We help build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge. Now we're in the thick of building our own tech company and we're bringing you along for the wild ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships and everything in between. We'll tackle burning audience questions and be joined by inspiring creators, female business leaders and the people who have motivated and energised us along the way. These won't be your typical shiny business stories. We want to showcase the experiences that go unsaid and definitely chat about the moments that don't make it onto Instagram. Prepare to hear about the lows, the failures, the doubt and the downright nightmare days. Navigating life through your 20s and 30s can be hard, which is why we're so passionate about creating a space for you to come to on the days you need to feel seen, inspired, educated, supported, and sometimes shocked into action. This is honestly the podcast we both needed throughout our journeys. So Tara St. Jean is a social media icon and educator spearheading the Fullerbus community around the globe. She's also one of our top earning creators on Sunroom. From the perspective of a small town girl next door, her groundbreaking journey of finding the right bra has evolved to building a global community of women who are empowered in taking care of their bodies and breasts and who celebrate femininity, inclusion and body love. On today's episode, we chat all things body positivity, learning to love the skin you're in, online censorship and how Satera's life has changed since making money online. Let's get into the episode. Satera, so <laughs> welcome to Try Babies. This is officially our first recording and I couldn't think of a more perfect guest. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this. And coming <laughs> live from Africa as well. That's it. You're just yes. always traveling. I'm sweaty. <laughs> I love it. So let's <laughs> let's jump into it. You describe yourself as a small town girl next door. What was growing Absolutely. up like for you? Oh my gosh. Growing up, I had a teeny tiny class of eight kids. There was four girls, four boys in my class. It was like family, the type of school that was all your teachers are your friends and also come to your birthday parties <laughs> and everyone just knows everyone. It was an amazing upbringing personally. I really loved it from a very small town. I grew up bilingual, French and English. And as my family does, we traveled a lot also as kids. So I caught the travel bug really, really young and basically just wanted to be my own boss and then travel the world since I was really young. And that's actually what I get to do now. So it's been amazing. Yeah. You, you wanted to be your own boss from a young age. Mm -hmm. I know I did not want to work for anyone else when I first started working because my dad's a big entrepreneurship minded. He's very entrepreneurship minded and he's always had his own businesses and kind of very creative. And I've really got that from him. And since I knew that I had to work in order to live, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to make my own hours and make my own money. And that's going to be me. I mm. love that. So your dad instilled in you, like you need to work for what you want in life. Yes, absolutely. Did mm -hmm. you work with him or for any of his businesses? Like what was your first job? No. So my first job, I actually played sports most of high school days. So I didn't really have time for a job. So my first job was in grade 11 and I became a lifeguard over the summer holidays. So, cause I knew it made the most amount of money so I can save up for college was kind of like my plan for the two years. Yep. And he worked as a family business. He had a mechanic shop, like nine bay garage. My brother grew up 
being a mechanic, he's now partnered with him in the business. So we did a lot of cleaning for that. And that was kind of like our take in the family business was being a janitor. So I could say most of my life I was a janitor, swim <laughs> <to> instructor. <laughs> Very long way from what you're doing now. Um, yeah. It's wild to me to hear someone say that they were a lifeguard because I just think of lifeguards as only really being from Australia, which is obviously not the case. But in Canada, there are beaches. <laughs> Uh, so it was a pool lifeguard. So it was all, (laughs) (laughs) you don't know how many Aussies have actually asked me that. They're like, whoa, oh, that's cool. I'm like, yeah, but it's only for a pool. Not that good. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. Okay. (laughs) So switching gears a little bit, what you do now is very much about body positivity. You've you describe yourself as a fuller bust educator. You've built an insane online following under the the title name Fuller Bust Bestie. So mm-hmm. we have to speak about your bus. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> talk, talk to me about that. Like when did you notice your body changing and what was mm-hmm. that like? Mm-hmm. So because I was in a very small school growing up, there's not very many people and like diversified bodies, I guess. So I was the only one in my class with larger breasts. And I was the only one in my family besides my mom. So I have two sisters and both of them have like a smaller chest. And I was the only one that was actually insane to the point that people would constantly comment about it. And that's kind of the first time I've really actually noticed, right? As a, as a kid, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, everyone's kind of growing these things. It's like normal and you have to talk from your mom. But it was, I think, um, grade six-ish that it was like a lot of pointing, you know, a lot of like commenting from my friends, like, oh my gosh, like they're much bigger than mine. What's going on? So having that stigma within my circle from a really young age was almost like, they're bigger than normal and they get in the way and then always being told to put them away. That was kind of like the three things that I was always faced with on a daily. Plus having like doing sports so much and gym class, it was constantly not being able to find a sports bra that actually fit me or that was comfortable and having to deal with that. Plus just growing up with a large chest around people that don't understand is a complicated in itself. So it was psychologically damaging for the body positive part of my life. People telling you to like put them away. What age was that starting from? Um, I would say high school, like by grade like seven, eight, if I wore tank top to school, there would be, you know, it would be more filled out and full than anyone with, you know, less than, and I would say all of my friends were max, like a C cup. And I was already maxing out like the Victoria's Secret triple D's by high school. So it was kind of just like the difference. You could wear the same thing, but obviously I had, didn't have a proper bra that fit. So mm. it's going to spill out anyways. It just looked bad, right. To people like quotation, it looked bad. So it was inappropriate. And that's constantly what was, I was being told. So it was always to be put away high neck. I, I remember when anytime I had, if I wore something like this, I was kind of just a little bit further down, even if it cut up like here, my mom would have to tell me like, you need to put a tank top underneath or a t-shirt. Like I constantly, everything was up to my neck because otherwise I was getting stared or I would be told by somebody else to put them away. So yeah, I was wondering <laughs> it was that, just one of the things. like, was your mm-hmm. mom doing that because she was trying to protect you from being sexualized? 
Yeah, I, I like definitely that's what it was for. And of course, she had no means to do what it did to me on purpose, if that makes sense, in the right words. I, for a long time, really hated my breasts, and we'll get to that in a bit. But I really, really hated my breasts for until I was just starting in the fuller breast industry. So that came a lot from being told to put them away. So I know she was doing that out of love and of course for me to be respected, but it does something to a little girl, right? When that's always being told to put away. So it's like, okay, what's wrong with them? Why do I have to put them away? And that starts to play on the mind constantly. So yeah, it was completely 100% out of love. That's just how it was with her as well, right? She's just very modest and very conservative herself. So she dresses like that. So it was kind of, the only daughter <laughs> that had boobs that got her body that was like, okay, we need to figure this out together. So it was interesting growing up with sisters that had no boobs and then I had to dress totally different. Yeah. I mean, and you're a sporty person as well. So did it change yeah. how you were, what extracurricular activities you were participating in in school? Did you feel like it was changing how you lived your life? Was it something that was just always, you're very conscious of it? Yeah, so I, I did so many sports, so it didn't really change. Like, I, it's not like I wasn't able to do anything, but it was painful. And I was constantly trying to, like, I constantly had to think about what was happening, constantly having to, like, have a normal bra plus a sports bra over top just for enough support. And then trying to find, like, really tight shirts just so it kind of has that extra, extra support. Yeah. But I remember this one time in gym class, we did parkour and my gym teacher was really cool he brought in like a nine foot box he like filled this huge box and we basically had to run up it and then like put our foot on it and grab it and then like lift ourselves up onto the box before we jump down and everyone's doing it like no problem and I I was one of the last ones and I ran up and I got to this point and it hit my boobs and it like stopped me and I literally couldn't like push up because everyone was flat. So it was so easy. And I remember just everyone laughing and my gym teacher being like, try to like kick off the box. You got to oh get God. it around those things. It's just like, oh like you're hurdling. So stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about the journey then into online spaces, because what you're doing Mm -hmm. now obviously came from this experience that you were having in the Mm -hmm. real world. And I suppose you were looking for content that you could relate to or people you were relating to. So how did it Mm -hmm. all begin on online? Yeah. Okay. So I knew that I wanted to try the whole influencer thing out. When I started to go traveling in 2018, I was doing like travel blogging and like travel couple with my partner and we had already kind of been in that space so I had no idea what size I even was at this point because every single store constantly was fitting me into the biggest size that they had even though it didn't fit me that was like the biggest and worst thing ever (laughs) so when I was in Australia actually downtown Sydney I was living there I went and got properly fitted at a bra boutique. It was called Brava Lingerie for anybody that's in Australia. It's an amazing store. And I walked in and the reason why I went is because the only bra that I actually owned, it snapped on me in the middle of the street. The bra strap just came undone. So I'm like, okay, this is my time to find out like what it is. I'm not in Canada anymore. They might have different stores. And she, I went into the change room with her and she literally just like, looked me up and down and she walked away and she came back. She's like, I'm not going to tell you what size this is. Just put it on. 
and I, it was this black lacy bra. I remember it so vividly and I put it on and I fell to the ground in tears. I was so happy because it felt so supported. I looked so beautiful, like, because it took like every time I put on a bra anywhere else, I was spilling out or I, it was uncomfortable and it just didn't look right. And this finally looked right. And it looked so good. And I was just so happy. I felt so confident that I walked away from that store being like, I can't believe I went this long without knowing that these bras existed. Why isn't it talked about? And that was the biggest turning point for me. I'm like, okay, everybody needs to know about these bras. So about a week later, that's when COVID happened. And I ended up having to go back to Canada. So I didn't end up having like all these bras to be able to choose from anymore. But I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this travel documenting anymore. We're not traveling. Let's focus on this because every single person needs to know about this. So I started a YouTube channel and I made a review about the bra that I got at the store and I sent it to them. And I, once I posted, I sent it to them and she, the owner responded saying like, this is amazing. If we keep sending you bras, will you keep making content for us? And I was like, of course, like free bras. That's amazing. I can do that all the time. Sure. And that's, that's how it started. Just kind of like rolled from there. I started posting a little bit on my personal page and then didn't really want that with like family and stuff that I had on my personal page. So I would say six months later, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to just fully commit and make this like a brand and we're going to do this. And I started Fuller Bus Bestie and started posting and it just grew really, really quickly. Have you noticed anything with what you were sharing on Instagram that was like a turning point for your content, your audience starting to to grow, like starting to bring in more and more followers or any little tips there around actually establishing the audience online? Mm, I think because I have like a true desire and passion for what I do, making content was so easy for me that it just flowed. So I was able to be like as authentic as I possibly can because myself was so excited about everything that I put my hands on because I couldn't believe it was even possible. So having it for so many years, not having a good fitting bra to now every single bra that I get, it's like Christmas. So I think it was just like my, the way that I came across in all my content was that I was genuinely like super excited and loved everything that was going on that people were able to see that. And I just posted like a lot because I loved everything that I had lots on stories and then once a day on my socials. So honestly, people ask me all the time if there's like, you know, did you follow any of the uh, like algorithm tricks Mm. or anything like that? And I didn't. I honestly was just excited about what I was posting and was consistent with it. And it just took off. You mentioned your family, like you started on YouTube because perhaps you're a little bit worried about what your family would think. How has that been? Like what has their response been? So at the very beginning, it was very intense because of course I was told to cover up my whole life and now I'm putting my body on the internet. So there was this huge contrast with like, okay, (laughs) this girl is kind of going off track here from how we raised her. And it took a long, 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 long time for them to accept it. And it kind of got to this point where at the beginning, they just didn't even ask me about it because they didn't want to know because they didn't like it. And if it did come up, it would be this like, oh, we don't like that. That's not cool. Like, I don't want to talk to you about it. And it was one of those things. And I think because I did a lot of work, like mental work with different coaches and stuff when I was younger, 
it really helped me push through that and go like, okay, it doesn't matter what my family thinks. I know that this is what I want to do and I'm going to just continue doing it. And it wasn't until I was able to prove that this was a job and a career by getting on a billboard in Times Square. Like that was the turning point for them was like, okay, she's actually doing something and she's actually making money. She's actually making a difference. It was like, there had to be this outside perspective to say, no, no, look, like she's doing this and it's, she's not just posting on the internet for attention, which a lot of people talked about at the beginning as well. It's a real thing. And she's actually helping people. And at that point, all my family was like, okay, what are you doing? I want to know what's up. Like they still don't really understand it mm-hmm. completely because they're not in it, but they now know and accept that, okay, this is your lifelong career and we see you now. Mm. That was that kind of breaking point. It's so interesting because what you're doing, all your content is really geared for women and through a mm-hmm. through a woman's lens, especially on mm-hmm. Instagram and on TikTok. It's mm-hmm. very educational. You're showing mm-hmm. up so other people can feel seen. You are trying to spread the word in all your comments. And I see you've built this army of other fuller busted women who are so grateful mm-hmm. for everything that you're putting out there and you are partnering with these huge brands and to your point Mm -hmm. the way you built an audience was by being authentic and you've always Mm -hmm. had a purpose behind what Mm -hmm. you're doing but simply because you show up in lingerie people's initial judgment on that is it's sensual or it's sexual but the nature of your content is quite different to that (laughs) Mm-hmm. So you have so Absolutely. much more to prove. Like, do you feel like you've yeah. maybe had a, you have something to prove? I don't think anymore. And I think that also came with personal growth. That came mm. with just knowing that like, okay, this is my life. And I'm so excited to do everything that I'm doing. And if I look back on it now, like just in the last year, especially with being on Sound and Room has been just like completely life-changing. That if I look back, on those moments when they said, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. I don't think it's a good idea. If I wouldn't have listened to them, if I would have listened to them, my life would be completely different. So looking back and seeing that, I've now changed as a person that it's like, okay, I know that this was the right path and this was a good idea. And that gives me so much more confidence confidence in myself to just keep going like that and not have to worry about what other people think. Mm, love that. Yeah. What about yeah. censorship? online because it's like you've kind of got this societal judgment but then you've also Mm -hmm. got existing in these online spaces on these platforms what has that Mm -hmm. censorship been like for you yes so it's been horrible (laughs) The, the just social media in general is just horrible tiktok for people who don't know i had grown my tiktok to 400,000 followers from when I started, it grew over the course of like six to eight months. And I had 90% of my partnerships with TikTok, like not on the platform, but all the brands that I was working with, I was posting on TikTok for them. That was where most of my money was coming from. And just one day, randomly, I opened the platform and it said, sorry, you've been censored too many times. Your account's been deleted. You can't access your content anymore. See you later. Like that was the message that I popped up and I've never been more I knew that that was a possibility so of course in my head everyone knows that it's a possibility especially in my space 
But to actually have it happen, I didn't think I would react the way I did. But I was actually really, really disappointed and really, really shook for a few days and wasn't really sure if I was actually going to go on the platform ever again. Now I'm actually just on TikTok literally as a personal page, just randomly to like post stuff that's fun. I do not use it for brand work anymore because I think it is just completely pointless that you put so much effort into something for somebody just to lead it with the press of a button like it's nothing. Mm. So I've focused mostly on Instagram. I swapped and went focused on Instagram for a little while after that happened and now progressively getting into YouTube. But there's two things I'm still constantly just randomly getting. Okay, these five posts have now been flagged for censorship and they're get, you have to either take them down or adjust them or whatever, even though literally one of them was the most obvious in my content. Content isn't considered modest, but it was the most modest content out of everything on my page and it was still like wrong. And I think I've come to this weird conclusion that obviously this is not all of it. I understand that. But there's this one YouTube short and it kind of puts it into perspective as to why maybe censorship is so geared uh, stronger towards women than to men. So I had a short on my YouTube for a whole year and it was just chilling there. It was doing its thing. It was growing. It was getting views. It was whatever. It was a year old. And then randomly it got popped up. You know how randomly one of your videos will just kind of go viral and like it just takes off. But it went viral on YouTube after a year and all of the comments were men just being horrible, like absolutely disgusting. And after about three days of these horrific comments, it got shadow banned. The thing pops up and says, Hey, look like this content sexual and you have to remove it. And now I can't view it anymore. So it's like, okay, is it would the content be totally fine if we didn't have, really horrible comments showing it that it's sexualized mm. there's this cycle so it's like okay why are women being censored and not male captions mm. that's what's annoying <laughs> yeah so interesting I was gonna ask if there was a video or anything you could remember that had been kind of the har- most harshly judged piece of content because even mm-hmm. when we use you in our content we mm-hmm. have often had videos that you're in be taken down and it's always TikTok. Yep. And I'm like, do they have yeah. a photo of this girl's face on their <laughs> wall, like not allowed here? And it's not Seriously. sexual at all. You're literally just existing in your body. And then I'm sure you see this as well. Other creators who aren't as full of busted doing exactly the same thing, presenting in the exact mm-hmm. same way and it's completely mm-hmm. fine. Hundred percent. So it the, that poses the question, right? Like, is it the person or is it the people that are sexualizing the person? And it's the people sexualizing the person that's making the app flag it. Mm. So it's like if you stop the people sexualizing the person, it won't be sexualized. Yeah, like <laughs> mod- moderate the comments and the viewers yes. harder. This is such yes. an interesting topic because it's like should platforms take more responsibility around the content that goes viral and like Mm, protect the people more in that Mm -hmm. content 
Yeah, I was just thinking of an example of, I, I can't remember the full story though, but like this very ordinary woman had posted something to Twitter and got on mm-hmm. a flight and it was a bit tone deaf. And by the end of that mm-hmm. flight where she couldn't protect herself or remove it or try to give more context, her yeah. life had basically completely fallen apart and it had gone wow. everywhere. And it's wow. like, should so Twitter now X whatever, maybe... <laughs> stop that I'm not sure different vibe you know on Instagram how you can ban certain words do you do that for the Mm -hmm. comments I do I do yeah so I ban certain words but what's annoying now is that I don't know if it's annoying or good but it's annoying for brands when they're trying to see the analytics of my posts that gets annoying but when I go on a specific post now, it'll say on the comments, like if you look at the little bubble, there's 300 or 400 comments, but you press it and you could see 10. So it's like, okay, you can't, is that all of those other 500 or 200 comments have these words in it that I've banned? Or is it just a glitch in the system? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So that's the hard part because I've actually had quite a few brands message me be like it says that there's 300 comments but I can only see a few and I'm just like yeah sorry not really sure what's going on with that so it's tough with all the work that you do online this is Mm -hmm. switching focus a little bit now to creator monetization Mm -hmm. and just kind of this new ecosystem that we're existing in Mm -hmm. what has been the most lucrative channel for you in terms of how you make money off the back of your audience do you mean besides sunroom or <laughs> definitely where, in sunroom? Really? That's, yeah. yeah, like where you're making 100%. the most cash. A hundred percent. So I was, until I started on sunroom last uh, October, I think it, it'll be my one year anniversary with you guys in a couple months. We need to send so you a exciting. gift. <laughs> or make, or help you make lots of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Definitely before I started on Sunroom, I was making on average with brand partnerships alone, like three pushing maybe 5,000 a month, depend, like here and there. And of course, with brand partnerships, it's like this, like one month you could have a lot, one month you could have pennies. It's just kind of the way that it is. And when I started on Sunroom, I think the very first month I made something close to what like five grand or six grand or something USD and now it's skyrocketed I'm making uh, over 30,000 a Canadian because I'm a Canadian that's how my currency flows in over $30,000 a month and it has completely 100% changed my life (laughs) it's so amazing to hear like you're literally making a living on sunroom how has it changed how you live your life it's changed in every single way possible. It's hard to narrow it down. But basically, when I said earlier that I really wanted to be my own boss so I could do X, Y, and Z my whole life, this has given me that exact life. And now I'm in a position where I don't have to worry about money ever. I constantly just know that I'm good. I'm able to invest half and live on as much as I want to spend whatever I want on the other half every month. And it's just been like crazy. I think I've been to over 10 countries 
since I started on Sunroom. So that just shows like I also get to fulfill my traveling heart and desire to see the world. (laughs) It's really come full circle. I love that it ties back to what you were talking about at the start. Why have you decided to be on Sunroom as opposed to the other creator monetization spaces like OnlyFans or Patreon? So when I was first originally like starting my fuller bus page and I got all that censorship happening right at the start, I did decide, okay, maybe OnlyFans will be the place for my type of content, right? Even though it wasn't geared towards men, all these other platforms weren't really letting me post. So it's like, okay, where else can I go that I could get the word out there? So I did join OnlyFans and it was, I was on there for like, I think three months was the max amount of time. And it was horrible. It was a horrible experience, mostly because even though I did make money from OnlyFans, I think a total of like 6,000 over the, the few months, the expectation of being on OnlyFans and like the stigma of OnlyFans, as well as the actual people that were on there that had these expectations that, okay, you are on here. So you need to give me like the dirtiest, nastiest content for the lowest amount of money. That was kind of the, every single person I went on there had that expectation. Almost. I had maybe had one or two subscribers that were like, okay, like I'm just here because I want to support you basically. Mm. So that after about three months and during those three months, it kind of just was like, a really weird time in my relationship too, because I wasn't even excited about joining OnlyFans. That just kind of was the only place I felt like I could actually post and the content that I was there for. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, hey, this is enough. I don't want to be in this space anymore. I felt a little bit dirty, like each to their own with anybody else on OnlyFans, like you do you. That was just, just your experience. Dirty. That was just my experience, exactly. And I don't know if it was if it's like that for everybody or not. But so I, I quit. I was like, okay, that's me done. I will do it another way. We will just figure it out with other platforms yeah. and content and I will just figure this out. So it wasn't until I wasn't on any other platform besides Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube until Sunroom came along. And I'm pretty sure I was one of the first creators I don't I don't know that for sure you'd be able to tell me but you were definitely one of the first to start making serious money and we were like looking at our dashboards thinking who is this person but I also (laughs) think it really this is something I've noticed the fact that you were on OnlyFans like creators who've used these platforms before Mm -hmm. definitely understand Mm. the strategy like I think it's Mm. good to dabble in those platforms if they do feel right for you because they definitely Mm -hmm. teach you the strategies around how to price how to tease on your socials how to bring people across and it's Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. sounds like with OnlyFans your boundaries were being pushed but even with Sunroom like I don't really view what we allow on Sunroom as being that edgy to be honest but even the Mm -hmm. fact that boobs are allowed, that's sometimes too much for people's boundaries. We're kind of all in in different places. So I think it's good that there are just options because I don't think there have been as many options about where you can go and show up in slightly different ways. Mm -hmm. How do you show up differently on Sunroom? How does it differ from Mm -hmm. what you do on on Instagram and not really TikTok because you can't be there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it shows up 
exactly how I would want it to be on another platform, just without this fear of being taken down. It's kind of like this perfect, perfect recipe of allowing myself to be sensual and to feel sexy and to have like, even as Instagram bans it as essential dancing, you know, literally just me like having a good time on lingerie to that, to be able to make money doing it. That's literally like the best space and the best combination for that. And I don't have the expectations because it is such a new platform that when people come to my page, I'm able to set my boundaries and be like, this is what I do here. This is not OnlyFans. If you want that type of content, you could go there. This is my space to do what I want and be who I am. And people respect me so much more. So it's, I think that's another reason why it's grown so much is because people are there. It's new. They're checking it out. They're like, okay, this is what she's about. I like it and I want to stay. And it was easy for me to grow too, because I liked it and wanted to stay. Yeah. And you just share so much about your personal life. Like you speak about all these juicy sides of your, your life, potentially (laughs) the stuff, like, would you feel comfortable speaking about your sex relationships on Instagram or do you feel like it needs to exist in more Mm. more of a private space? I wouldn't because I'm scared of the censorship, right? It's just like I have posted quite a bit about sex toys and like trying to, like there's a few posts here and there that I've had partnerships with Love Honey and pushed, you know, women's health about being able to masturbate and orgasm and that kind of thing. I've, I have done a few posts. Those are the ones that get flagged. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, let's like swap it over. So now I've been able to really open up all my sunroom for sure and talk a lot about some of my favorite positions, some of my kinks, you know, things that help in a relationship when it comes to sex, like different sex toys, like for sure. I've been able to open up completely like they were my best friend chatting about it because here's the thing is everybody has sex. Everybody likes to do it or talk about it or whatever. So why can't there be a safe space? I'm so happy that there is one to talk about that stuff because it's like, even, (laughs) oh my God, this is hilarious. Even, my mother the other day, God bless her. I love her so much, but I told her about this sex toy that I got. And I was just like, I want to see how this goes over. And she's like, Satara. She's like, sex is for making babies and that's it. I'm like, you know, that is not true. (laughs) You know, that is not true. So even just like releasing it from being taboo, we Mm. have to start somewhere. Yeah. And Sunroom is a great space to start that. Yeah. Mm. Love that. And I love how you said they feel like your best friends, because I do think Mm -hmm. even when I scroll through Sunroom sometimes, it does look like you're on FaceTime with a friend. It's very casual and very raw. Yeah. Yes. I love it. So you've got a boyfriend. How does he feel about everything that you do and how has that been navigating that with your work? So, of course, like I think in any relationship, it's a little bit of a rocky conversation to start because it is different for ourselves because I did OnlyFans. When I started Sunroom, there was a little bit of hesitance because of how pushy people were on OnlyFans. We had this little resistance and their the relationship got a little bit rocky during that time period too. So we just didn't want to go through that again. So everything that happened on Sunroom, it was a step-by-step, like super clear with each other with 
great communication as to, okay, these are my boundaries. This is what we're okay with together. This is what's going to happen. And we rolled with it together. So now he even creates all of my content for me. He's the one that's in the back end. He's the one that's like, Ooh, that looks hot. Like, (laughs) let's do this. And this is fun. Let's do this position. Like it is really, really fun. And he helps me out with it, which is just like the best part because we could just have fun together with it. And then of course we both share the benefits of what it gives us this amazing life. So it was like Rocky, like anything new, we figured it out and communication's key. I love that. Okay, what is next for you? What do you want to happen with this Fuller Bus Bestie empire that you're building? I love this question because I'm just moving into that era right now. So it's been on my mind a lot. Basically, and this is a super gloating little thing that I'm going to do. Over, it's like since I started being an adult, basically, when I was 18, I wrote down life goals that I want to achieve like all these different things. Like I'm big with goal setting. And this year, thanks to Sunroom, was the year I achieved every single one of those things on that list. And it was just like a huge, like mind-blowing experience for me that now I've been in the last month or so sitting down and rewriting new insane goals, like life goals. So basically, I'm hoping that Fuller Rust Bestie at some point in the next year or so will have its own line, which is really exciting. I'm working with a few manufacturers at the moment. Other things that are happening, which are amazing, I'm creating my own lines with brands I already work with so that that can kind of diversify the income a little bit, test the waters, different fabrics, different lines like that. But Other than that, I've been really, really trying to just completely 100% enjoy being in this stage of my life of achieving these goals. So it's kind of this healthy balance of like, okay, we're on to the next thing, but holy shit, you made it. Let's just like soak in it a little bit. (laughs) I love that. I love that you wrote your goals down and you've actually hit them all. How do you, do you manifest? Do you come back to them? Do you have any little tips for goal setting? Okay. So I don't have necessarily tips, but the way that I would do it is you write it down and you don't really look at it unless you're feeling uninspired. Mm -hmm. Like that's the only time that I'll go back and look and be like, oh yeah, these things are happening. And you kind of will, when you go back and you look at them, you're like, all right, I've actually achieved some of these already, or these things are already kind of in the works. I can see it happening. So I'm good. And you put it away and you don't look at it. But the biggest thing ever is to really, truly celebrate even the little wins. Because Mm -hmm. when you Mm -hmm. stop and you celebrate what's happening and you sit in it, then the rest of the goals and everything just skyrockets so much faster. Like I couldn't believe the speed of things that happen when you are joyful, like where you are in the moment when those things are happening, instead of constantly chasing the next thing. And then you enjoy the process so much more. I love that. So even to the point that like, I hit 25,000 followers on Instagram, I went and bought myself a expensive perfume that I really wanted that I've never done before. Like little things like that. It's just like a must to treat yourself. Yeah. And going back to something you said earlier around accepting your, your body and I guess the skin that Mm -hmm. you're in, what would be your advice to anyone listening who might be going through some of the same challenges you faced? 
So the biggest thing that helped me overcome my boob issues. So basically, you guys haven't heard this story before. I absolutely despised my breasts to the point that I literally couldn't even look at them in the mirror. I would avoid them completely if I walked past a mirror. If I looked at my body in the mirror, like wouldn't look at them. Thought they were ugly, hated them. It was horrible. It felt horrible. I didn't like that feeling. And when I first started in the Fuller Bestie, when I first started Fuller Best Bestie, I knew that I had to overcome that because I can't be confident and like tell people to buy these things and feel beautiful if I didn't feel beautiful and I didn't love myself completely. So I worked with a body talk therapist, which basically does like energy healing. And we did this really long session in person. And she made me, long story short, it's about two hours long. By the end of it, clearing all this energy and things that may seem blocked going around the body, she asked me what it was that I hated the most about my body that I was still like not really in love with. And of course, I said my boobs. And she told me, and this is the key point for everybody that's going through this, she told me to stare at them in the mirror stare at them every single day until you could say the words, I love you. So it's constantly looking at that part and being like, I love you. Like, I love you. I love you. And the more that you do that, the more you actually start to love every single part of yourself. And then it's not just that changes and do other things. The more you could just love yourself and actually enjoy the body that you're in because it's so beautiful and so precious. And I now feel so sad that at one point I didn't love it, Mm. you know, that is the, that was the biggest turning point for me. So every day I just woke up and stared at them because I couldn't even do that and said, I love you. And that was such an emotional day for me, like huge. I cried for so long, but it finally was like this release because I wanted that. I wanted to love it so bad. I just didn't know how. And that really, really helped me. I love Mm. that. That's incredible advice. Thanks for sharing. Okay, Sat, we're going to do rapid fire, three juicy slash spicy questions. Okay. Have you ever had sex in public? And if so, where? Yes, on a beach and at a campground. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Do you have any red flags? Um, being like dishonest, like catching them like in a lie. <laughs> Okay, and this one's a little bit different. Do you view yourself as successful? 100%. Yes. Yay. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being our first guest, Sat. You are incredible. We love what you do and so happy we can share your story on Try Babies. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find you? What are your social handles? So it's Fuller Bus Bestie pretty much across the board, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Sunroom. Amazing. Thanks, Art. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. 
We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated, and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta, where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.